Good morning. It's Tuesday, the 8th of August, and this is Govindraj Ethiraj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital. Our top themes for the day. It's a bull market and a frenzied bull market at the same time. How do you make the difference and why it's time for some caution? Is India in a position to manufacture high-end laptops right now? The cost of a vegetarian thali in India has risen 34% in July in just one month. And global advertising giant WPP forecasts slower growth as tech majors pull back on spends. This is a core report with Govindraj Ethiraj. Bull markets and frenzied bull markets. After some hiccups and downs and then ups, domestic markets ended Monday's trade in the green. The BSE Sensex settled at 65,953, up 232 points, while the Nifty 50 gained 80 points to close at 19,597. Of course, with the markets hitting an invisible wall in recent weeks, everyone is wondering what the next destination is, or at least the direction of it. Is it all over, or does the market have some legs left? And what about all those bullish earnings forecasts and India becoming overweight to China's underweight, at least to investment bank Morgan Stanley? Well, I guess the trick is to not look at the market as a whole and look at different sections of the market differently. For one, as Research House ICICI Securities points out, the Nifty 50 index is consolidating just below the 20,000 mark after rallying 14% from the March 23 lows. Now, that is a modest 7% year-to-date return while robust earnings expansions catch up. This, ISEC says, indicates rational behavior and is not technically a bull market either. So, all of you active investors and traders do note. However, there is a bull market frenzy that is visible in the mid, small and micro-cap indices which have risen 25%, 29% and 42% respectively from the same March 23 lows. So micro-cap indices, which we've spoken of, have risen 42%. So technically, by the way, a more than 20% upside indicates a bull market. So ICICI Securities says that going by past evidence and assuming Indian markets are entering into a bull phase, there is scope for markets to remain buoyant given the robust macro environment. However, the expected returns will most likely be muted from current levels, especially for the broader markets, the brokerage says. To get an insight into the thinking behind this and to understand how to really distinguish between a frenzied bull market and the regular bull market, I reached out to ICICI Securities equity strategist Vinod Karki and asked him to explain his brokerage's stance on the markets. If you see the performance of the main indices, be it the Nifty 50, any move down to mid-cap, small-cap, micro-caps, what I had mentioned earlier was that the mid and small-cap were not too attractive at that point itself. Although in the micro-cap, there was some spread left in terms of valuation gap. Now what's happened from that point till now is that there's a further outperformance by the broader market. While what is happening fundamentally is great in the sense that for the Nifty 50, the index is started to consolidate just below that 20,000 level while earnings are expanding in a robust way, basically. So that's excellent. I mean, uh, index after a rally at the Nifty level is consolidating while earnings are catching up. 
But for the mid-cap, small-cap, micro-cap, what is happening is uh, while earnings are good there also, but the rise is quite dramatic in the sense that from March lows, if you look at mid-cap, it is 25% up, the small-cap is 29% up, and the micro-cap is 42% uh, up, basically. And what's the figure for large-cap, you know? So large cap would be around 14% and uh, that actually doesn't qualify as a bull market because technically the bull market definition is that you are up more than 20% and these other indices are significantly higher. Whereas the Nifty 50 seats from the bottom is up 14%, YTD it's about 7%. So that doesn't give me a sense that at the Nifty level you have some outlandish uh, frenzy or something like that because 7-8%, 10%. In a good year is a normal number. And you use the word frenzy. So there's a bull market and there's a bull market frenzy. You know? What's the difference between the two? You know, once you go beyond 20%, it kind of qualifies as a bull market. But the microcaps are up 42% at the index level. And for individual stocks, that means that uh, they would be doubling up and things like that. So that's what is qualified as frenzy where you start, stocks start doubling across the board and things like that and the index level is also 40-50% kind of a, a gain. That's what I think is a red flag for me in the overall market where a lot of speculative activity seems to be coming up in the, the broader markets. And the other definition that you've used in a report is also the one-year absolute rolling returns and uh, how that signifies a bull market as well, isn't it? From March till now, it's uh, like three, four months and uh, indices are up more than 25-30% at the broader market. But typically, investors would like to see on a one-year basis how things are. So from that perspective, if you see long-term chart, you know, whenever we have had bull markets, on a one-year basis, bull market would at least be at least like, you know, like 100% kind of a gain. So we are not reached that kind of... Uh, extreme euphoria that's what we try to illustrate in that chart that in a full-blown bull market indices would be up much more than what it is right now got it so all of this if you were to now you know look at it strategically going ahead are you saying that people should not sell or people should not buy particularly these mid caps and small caps first of all all the ingredients of the bull market in terms of See, the bull market is just a reflection of what's happening in the economy. So those ingredients are picking up quite well. So if you look at the CAPEX or other indicators, high-frequency indicators like GST collection, the PMIs, the credit growth, the real estate cycle, all are supportive of a positive signals for the equity markets. What we are cautioning is that in some of the pockets, things are running ahead of fundamentals. That's the only thing. We are not saying that this is anywhere close to the end of the bull market. We have specifically written that too early to call out a bull market peak. But point is, even in the earlier bull market, if you see between 2003 to 2008, there were two to three instances of sharp corrections also within the bull market. Especially in the broader market, one should be a little careful over there. Right. Uh, Vinod, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Kovin. Meanwhile, in a sign that things are looking up for the Adani Group, the Qatar Sovereign Wealth Fund has bought a 2.7% stake in Adani Green Energy for about 3,920 crore. Now, this deal marks another investment into the green energy arm of the billionaire Gautam Adani-led group, a little over a month after GQG partners and other investors acquired stakes in the company and Adani Enterprises, its group company.
can we make a high end laptop in india apple is making phones in india but can apple also make a macbook air or pro in india to me as a user that's a good point to start when trying to establish where india stands in its efforts to localize laptop production an outcome of an upcoming licensing restriction on import of finished laptops now before i get to that the electronics industries association of india or elsina was established in 1967 as the first industry association supporting electronics hardware when india's electronics industry was still in its infancy elsina says it actively interacts with the government and advises it on policy and business environment issues so Elsina is also quite happy with the government's move to impose licenses on imports of laptops and notebooks even as it acknowledges the short-term challenges that this move would lead to and of course Elsina is quite happy admitting that it is quite happy as well Elsina put out a statement earlier saying it welcomed the government's decision to implement licensing requirement for finished laptops tablets and personal computers It also said the new regulation effective immediately signifies a crucial step towards enhancing national security and reducing reliance on foreign imports and of course boosting domestic production. But the government somewhat predictably after it faced a pushback from many quarters has now pushed the implementation of this rule to the 1st of November 2023. I reached out to Sanjay Agarwal president of Elsina and also managing director of globe capacitors a fairly large domestic manufacturer of capacitors and began by asking him whether he agreed that the move to impose import licenses was a step back and in many ways before going on to whether india was ready right now to make high end laptops i would categorically say that government has announced a very strong pli scheme to encourage the manufacturing of these items in the country from the government side there are huge level of incentives available but we find that very few players are coming forward to do the actual manufacturing in the country and everybody is busy doing some small setups some small assemblies and selling to the market india is a very large market and the government is very right in expecting that we should have a local manufacturing so that the local ecosystem can be developed the government has announced their intention to impose licensing on these products they have not come out with the licensing norms yet and as we know two days back they pushed it to 1st november the implementation i believe in next 3 months they will roll out the conditions of the licensing the idea is to make the foreign companies clear that we are very serious and we want the manufacturing to happen locally it can start with the assembly form as if they are doing already with some emss and scale it up to the actual manufacturing this will only bring up the manufacturing ecosystem what our prime minister has envisioned and if we go on dilly-dallying that that will never happen now when you say uh, manufacturing in india so it could be let's say for example a lenovo or a dell or an asus or apple and i'll come to apple specifically Uh, manufacturing in india so that you don't have a problem with yeah we don't have a problem with their manufacturing in india and is what everybody wants that they should manufacture because when they manufacture here we will have a local supplied supply chain would be developed here and the country will widely benefit from it right and as apple has begun doing for mobile phones and in other areas like cars for example there's a lot of domestic production happening by foreign companies now uh, the second part to that and i'm only talking about laptops specifically now what is the capability in india to produce let's say the kind of laptops we see from companies like a dell apple 
Lenovo and so on? See, there are many companies in India. They are very small in nature. And I can say one case of name of HLBS, it's based in Bhopal. And you will feel proud to know that the INS Vikrant has their systems on them. So when they are good for our armed forces, why aren't they good for the country? And what Apple or Dell will offer to the consumer with some smart, some innovative features, some regular updations, and I'm sure with some collaborations with these overseas companies, our homegrown companies can come forward. And when these, even these large companies come and make their bases in India, they will be introducing all these features. So it is always uh, a viable situation. Yeah, the question is, how long will it take? I mean, can it be done in maybe three, four years? Maybe, you know, I'm asking today, since the license has come now, do we have the capability to produce a smart stick 1.3 kilogram? It should take a couple of years, one to two years, I believe, because uh, that's what the PLI also gives them the room to start. And government is not saying that you should do every manufacturing year. And we expect them to start assembling here. And which is very fast. There are so many EMSs available here and who are doing and these products can be added onto their lines. They just have to bring the technology or STDs or whatever the government allows. And uh, this can all be a win-win situation for the country. And for that, government is already offering them a good incentive. Yes. So the entire software export industry, for example, depends on you know high-quality laptops or high-quality personal computing to write code and to really, I mean, improve productivity and so on. So are you saying that we are in a position to, even if not right now, in a couple of years to produce that level of computers here by those companies? I believe so. We can surely do that because today technology is not a monopoly of any country and every company wants their market for their products. And India with the rising economy, the growing economy, the rising aspirations of the young the youth, we are a ready market. And these companies already have a ready market and the government is providing them incentives to keep their profits or their books in green level. So there is no reason why they shouldn't manufacture it and it should start soon. So uh, two questions. So for example, the components, and you did mention that you don't have to make the whole thing here right now. And, you know, for example, the chips, which is, let's say, the heart of a laptop, would have to be imported because as of this point, we're not going to be making those high nanometer chips. Yes. Some components will definitely have to be imported, but then the assembly can be done. And later on, the government has also added the PCB manufacturing to happen here. And they are offering incentives in the PCB manufacturing side for the laptops. They have a very beautiful scheme made out. Now, the industry has to understand that we can't go on importing our products for our own consumption. We should have a own manufacturing base. And there are every everything available in the country. The state governments are offering incentives. The central government is offering incentives. But what more do you want? To create the willpower, I believe the government introduced the licensing now. Okay. So now, uh, uh, let me ask you about the cost. And, and you did say that the incentives should make up for what companies might lose. What's your sense today? Suppose, let's say a MacBook, again, just to go back to that, or an Asus uh, high-end laptop made in Malaysia or uh, Singapore versus uh, being manufactured in India in terms of cost. How are you seeing that journey? See, I believe versus Malaysia and India, it should be similar because Malaysia is also not making all the components by themselves. They are also importing their components. India would be importing a little more of components. Yes, if you could compare to China, yes, our cost could be a little higher. We might have some differential in our costings. So that's where government 
would be proposing to bridge the gap. Right. Last question, Sanjay. So, uh, your company makes capacitors which goes into, let's say, air conditioners or maybe television sets and a lot of electronics, consumer electronics equipment. So, would you say that you could, for example, as your company, though you may not be intending to do that right now, produce parts for a MacBook of tomorrow or a Asus or Lenovo? No, why not? Why not if there is a good opportunity and we have a OEM requirement here? It's always a possibility. Right. Okay, Sanjay. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Gobel. Thank you. Food inflation is rising, as is the price of a thali. Now, we may have stopped talking about it for a few days, but food inflation is still around and still creeping up upon us. Last week, Rice Exporters Association Executive Director Vinod Kaul told me that prices of non-Basmati rice were actually going up in India despite a sudden ban on exports. Rising rice prices obviously contribute to inflation in cereals, a staple diet in India which the government was trying to bring down the price of. Meanwhile, a report by rating agency Crystal has said on Monday that the price of a vegetarian thali in India has risen by 34% in July as compared to June, Crystal's monthly indicator of food price costs. Some 25% of this can be attributed to the inflation in tomatoes. From 33 rupees per kilogram in June, its price rose 233% to 110 per kilogram in July and of course it's risen even further since then. Now, this is the third time in a row that the prices of a vegetarian thali have risen sequentially. In 23-24, this is the first time it's risen year on year. The prices of a non-vegetarian thali, by the way, also rose but by a lesser 13% month on month. Crystal says it calculates the average cost of preparing a thali at home based on input prices prevailing in North, South, East and West India and the change reflects the impact on the common person's expenditure. The data also reveals the ingredients including cereals, pulses, broilers, vegetables, spices, edible oil and cooking gas. Interestingly, Crystal said the prices of chilli and cumin have also shot up, going up 69% and 16% sequentially. So, chilli at 69%. The prices of onion and potato increased 16 and 9% month-on-month, respectively, Crystal said, contributing further to the increase in cost. So, it's not just tomatoes. A veg thali, by the way, comprises roti, vegetables, which is onion, tomato and potato, rice, dal, curd and salad. For a non-vegetarian thali, chicken has been considered instead of dal. Incidentally, we have been somehow lulled, if I could use that word, into believing that a good or sufficient monsoon would solve most of our problems, more specifically in the context of food prices and inflation. It turns out that the data actually never said so. Food inflation has been in the 6% plus range for three of the past four normal monsoon years, a new report from rating agency Crystal again has pointed out. Also, factors other than the monsoon have been increasingly shaping food inflation. These include extreme weather events, domestic policy and geopolitical developments. Food inflation can thus be high even when the monsoon is normal. Cereals inflation, as we just alluded to, has been in sticky double digits over the last six months. Looking at current production levels, pulses too, which are your dals, are in a vulnerable position. The concern on food inflation is evident in the preemptive steps the government is taking, says Crystal, like banning some types of rice exports, imposing stocking limits on wheat, and market intervention to improve supplies. How many of these moves will really help is, of course, not clear. Just to go back to the rice example I mentioned, where prices appear to have gone up.
Elsewhere in the world of drugs and pharmaceuticals, many of us have taken COVID shots, or most of us, I would think, and in India, either Covishield or Covaxin. But internationally, Pfizer's COVID vaccines were the go-to vaccines in many countries, including in the United States. This obviously pushed up sales for Pfizer. The Wall Street Journal now says that a return to Earth has been abrupt. Earlier this year, Pfizer said it expects its COVID-19 vaccine to generate $13.5 billion in sales in 2023. This sounds high, but it is down roughly two-thirds from last year. The company said its Paxlovid antiviral would also come in at about $8 billion in sales, but that's down almost 60% from last year. Pfizer's new forays include Abrisvo, a new vaccine for older adults for respiratory syncytial virus, and Litfulo, a treatment for the hair loss condition, alopecia areata. Speaking of falling drug sales and hair loss conditions, technology spending is falling too. And it's not just affecting IT companies who we talk about regularly. Advertising holding company WPP, which also has a significant presence in India, has reduced its growth forecast for the year after it saw lower revenue in the United States from technology clients and delays in spending on technology projects in the second quarter, the Wall Street Journal has said. WPP says it saw delays across all client types for technology projects such as app development, e-commerce projects and data integration. WPP Chief Executive Mark Reed said that with tech making up about 18% of the company's business, lower spending in that arena made an outsized impact on its results. In the long run, that's a source of growth, he said. But in, that's the second quarter, there is no doubt it'll hurt us, he said, according to the WSJ. WPP owns agencies like Ogilvy, Wonderman Thompson and VMLY&R, as well as media buying giant Group M. Other advertising majors like Omnicom, IPG, and S4 also recently called out slower spending by technology marketeers. Back home, again, the Lok Sabha on Monday cleared the Digital Personal Data Protection Bill, which we discussed yesterday in some detail by a voice vote amidst slogan shouting by opposition members over the Manipur issue. Some amendments moved by opposition members were defeated by a voice vote. The bill seeks to protect the privacy of Indian citizens while proposing a penalty of up to 250 crore rupees on entities for misusing or failing to protect the digital data of individuals. And before I go, a study conducted by traffic expert MN Srihari has said that Bangalore loses close to 20,000 crore rupees because of problems arising out of traffic congestion and related factors. A report in NDTV says the study shows that despite having 60 fully functional flyovers, Bangalore has faced a loss of 19,725 crore rupees because of delays, congestions, stoppages at signals, interference of slow-moving vehicles with fast-moving, fuel loss, occupants time loss, loss of the vehicle time. This amount was calculated by the loss of vehicle time into money based on salary and other factors. I shudder to think what that number for Mumbai will be. But I hope someone will compute it and if you do, do send it across to us. That's it from me for today. Have a great day ahead. I hope you don't spend much time in traffic or at least as much as you need to spend listening to this podcast. I look forward to hearing from you on govindraj at thecore.in or do visit us at www.thecore.in. See you. This was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in. That is www.thecore.in. 
thecore.in or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you, including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at thecore.in. Thank you for listening.